gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good, then. Well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine and, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's, it's a podcast. podcast. Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room. This is uh, episode 46. It's the review segment for October 31st. It's Halloween, but mm-hmm. I don't know if our review has anything to do with Halloween. Uh, you guys it's can be the scary. Judge. How bad this movie is. <laughs> oh, no. You're getting ahead of us. Uh, who we have on the podcast today, David and I, of course, we're always around. Uh, but today we have Jordan Hoffman. <laughs> who's been on the show before jordan where are They're you what? writing you're always moving so i don't know where to like announce and and the fanfare uh, here you for reviews lately uh for the past the guardian that's right for, prestigious yeah, the, i would say the, the 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 bulk of my reviews as of now october are the guardian.com and the new york daily news uh both.com and if you ride the seven train on fridays you can read them in, on the seven train <laughs> Uh, for the eight on people Fridays. who listen to this podcast, yeah, that's the only train where they hand out the daily. No, but I like to think when I when I t- think about my work that goes in the daily news, I like to think about a commuter schlepping in on the seven train and looking at the puns in the capsule reviews. I, no- I mostly write capsule reviews for them, but not exclusively. And I like to think that I make their commute a little brighter. Your days um, punning it up for nerds online yeah, yeah. are so far behind you now. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> it's amazing. Um, but uh, yeah, so I'll, you know, this week I've got uh, horror movie reviews in, in the Daily News, and I've got seven hundred word reviews about the Deepwater Horizon. Oh my God, we're still talking about what Jordan's writing this week. Let's no, I'm t- I was trying to segue into the Deepwater Horizon <laughs> documentary, David, which I believe you're actually. A fan of. Yeah, no, the Great Invisible, excellent movie. You guys should it's, all see it. It's probably the best movie coming out this week. I think it is almost almost certainly the best movie coming out this week. Yeah. I'm sorry, but, I will wait for the J.C. Chandor adaptation coming. Is he doing a J.C.? Is yes, he doing he it? Yes. The man it, behind All is Lost will be fictionalizing that film. So. I love the Chandor. Is the Chandor, the Chandor. Ex- specifically adapting Great no. Invisible? Or is no, he no, doing no. He's, he's making a fictional film about Deepwater Horizon. Okay. Well, it's it's a really interesting story. And this movie, and then I'll shut up about it, called The Great Invisible, a documentary directed by a woman by the name of Margaret Brown. It's not just about the Deepwater Horizon explosion. It's really about the, uh, the socioeconomic ramifications of it um, that go on for years, that are continuing to this day, that are pretty quite pretty extraordinary. And it's a beautiful film, uh, visually and with the music. David Wingo did the music. It's a, it's a good Ooh. picture. Um, well, you shouldn't feel bad about you know, promoting it on this podcast because no, we are no, talking you... about movies, but it's not the movie that we brought you on. This what show is the movie about. we're here to talk about this <laughs> well, weekend? I'll actually. tell you. Uh, today we're talking about Nightcrawler, the uh, directorial debut of Dan Gilroy, who's been writing uh, in Hollywood for for many years and finally made his own movie. He's the brother of Tony Gilroy, who uh, wrote some of the Bourne movies. Uh, Dan Gilroy actually wrote. Mission Impossible Three with Joe Carnahan, Jordan. That might strange. Mission Impossible Three. Yeah, that. Why well, I, that I love happened. that film. No, the movie that never happened. The Joe Carnahan oh. version that didn't oh. happen. Um, your lame television made-for-TV movie uh, got made instead. All right, thank Jeez. you, Devin Faraci's poll quotes. <laughs> <laughs> I I believe in that statement. I do. Uh, let's move on from that and talk about Nightcrawler. Can we all saw this movie at the Toronto Film Festival? About six um, weeks ago, right? Does anyone remember what happened? Not Jordan? a frame. No, you talk about this movie, Jordan. Introduce <laughs> uh, us to the I world of remem- Nightcrawler. I remember it. Um, I'm quite fond of it, and, and I, I really um, admire it a great deal. Uh, if, if you want me to give a thumbnail want, for the – Yeah, I want somebody. you to set this thing up for people. All right, set up Nightcrawler. Um, it's kind of a weird – it's a weird movie and the trailers yeah, are awful of it's weirdness. Not a, it's not meant to be taken at a literal at face value. It's set in sort of a pretend world and uh, similar to ours and um, you got this Jake Gyllenhaal kid. It's called and, Los Angeles. Yes, it's a pretend world called Fantasy. Los Angeles. Jake Gyllenhaal, uh, when you meet him, you don't really know where he comes from or what he's about. Trying to set up sort of like a Travis Bickle thing with him. He just, uh, you know, was looking for work. And when you first see him, he's sell- stealing and selling scrap metal and not doing a very good job of it. But what's interesting, and I think one of the two things that I really admire about the movie, is that whenever he opens his mouth, he does not communicate like a human being. He communicates 
um, he regurgitates uh, these Tony Robbins esque um, self help tapes and uh, you know uh, this sort of uh, self worth guru type. Yeah, it's like seven habits of highly successful yeah. people, the so living embodiment of that. Just sort of spits back buzz speak um, and talks about, you know, he's a guy who used the word incentivize in, in conversation and, and mean it, you know. It's in, and at first you think it's just because he's talking to a guy he's trying to get some, something out of. But actually every single waking moment of this kid's life is actually um, a transaction of some sort. But I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. So he's trying to sell scrap metal. It's not working out. He stumbles upon a car crash on the freeway and he sees, I believe it's Bill Paxton or Bill Pullman? Yeah, Bill forget. Paxton. Oh, Bill it's, uh, no, I, I can confirm it's Bill Pullman. All right. All right. It's one of the Bills comes out and he's lugging a, lugging it's Bill a Paxton. camera. It's Bill lugging Paxton. A, lugging a camera and there's a, there's a guy dying in a car on fire and while the emergency services teams are there trying to save the guy, Bill Paxton. Oh, it's Bill Pullman, I think. Are one of the freaking guys. It's is, not. Is it's it Bill Paxton. Is Shut it Bill up, Pullman? David. All right. All right. So Bill Damn Pullman you. is there, and he's trying to um, just, you know, he's just videotaping it, and he's not, like, in the way, but he certainly ain't helping. And then he speeds off in his van, which has all kinds of aerials and satellite dishes to know where the action is, and he sells the tape to the morning news, and he makes a killing. And our lead character, uh, played by Hall. Uh, with crazy hair and bad makeup and, and looking like a like a weirdo raccoon. Looks like a lemur. Um, he's lost, what, 35 pounds? 35? Yeah, he doesn't look too good. Um, and for what? Well, for what I think is a good movie. Uh, and he decides that this is going to be his path to excellence, and he becomes a what they call nightcrawlers. And apparently this is a real thing. And so then the rest of the movie is moral decay of him, you know, trying to get ahead to sell his tapes and to get the most violent, the most gory video of crash scenes, of crime scenes or whatever. And the movie kind of plays it from there. So a couple things. Number one, uh, you know, these guys are real. They've always been real. In fact, right now, I think it is, there's a major exhibit at the uh, ICP in New York of Ouija, who was a uh, a photographer in the 40s and 50s who had a... uh, my girlfriend, that my girlfriend ask. just finished designing a book oh. on Ouija. Is that right? It is right. So ha- shout out, so- shout out to my girlfriend. There you go. Um, uh, <laughs> Ouija, not the Ouija board, <laughs> but oh, uh, spelled W E E G E. Although a, a play on words on the Ouija board, he was a crime scene photographer who then vaunted into the uh, art world by getting there first and taking photos of doing exactly what they do in Nightcrawler, but he had an artistic side. Um, now, what's good about the movie, in my opinion, is uh, it's it's very dark. It's very uh, funny, I think, because of the um, element I mentioned earlier of, of the way Hall speaks and the way he interacts with the rest of the world. And I think the overall gestalt of the film, if I may use that expression, comes from a place of... Um, Real sort of like dark, dark, you know, uh, humor, but also like, well, isn't the world a piece of shit? Let's just sort of celebrate the chaos a little bit. And it stems less from, you know, a lot of people are comparing it to the movie uh, Network, um, which I think is fair. I don't um, get a lot of that. I don't well, really under- that, is that comparison just because of the media elements? I'm going to explain that because that's what I wanted, it, wanted to talk about. It actually, it is, I mean, obviously, on a surface level, it is because he's interacting with TV news a lot. And Rene Russo plays a, um, a corrupt TV news. If it and, bleeds, and, it leads. Right. If it bleeds, say. it leads. That's, There's that. That's, yeah, yeah. That's all on the surface. But underneath that, it has this sort of, um, you know, party at the end of the world nihilism that reminds me of. Um, really some of the major literary works of the 20th century. Uh, For example, the vibe I get from books like um, Been Down So Long It Looks Like Up To Me or um, J.P. Dunleavy's books or even some of Thomas Pynchon's stuff like the party scenes uh, in Gravity's Rainbow or the uh, sort of the bombed out cafe scenes in V where there's just like such... They're in the face of such horror that they don't rebel at it. Their form of their way of rebelling at this is to just sort of join in. Now, I don't think the characters are behaving this way, but I think the filmmaker is behaving this way. I think like the the, the POV of the movie, maybe I'm reading too much into it, is so revolted by 
the commercialization of horror in the media that it wants to play around with it. And usually when that sort of thing is going down, I raise an eyebrow, but I think this kind of earns it because it's, it's pretty damn funny. And, and the, the, the moment really sold it for me, and then I'll shut up, is there's a moment where um, Gyllenhaal's character really goes over the line. He breaks into somebody's house while they're out on the yard, you know, dealing with the fact that somebody's been shot and they're talking to the cops. And he steals a couple of images of the kitchen, domestic scenes, and he kind of manipulates where things are, kitchen magnets, and to make it look like the perfect shot. And you know you're going, oh, my God, he's being so unethical. But what really dug it for me was this. Um, when I saw those images back at the newsroom, when the, when the anchor is cutting to them, it looked so much to me like the images that you see all the right. time on the news. If you're in an airport watching CNN, you see these images and never think about how they got there. And I said to myself, holy crap, I've probably been on the receiving end of so much unethical shit just by watching the news. Local Haven't news. you ever seen Broadcast News, one of the best movies ever made in the English language? Come yeah, on. Yeah. Come That's, on. Totally, this is old hat. <laughs> well, first of all, it's a very different movie. It is. It's a much better. It's a good movie. <laughs> that's, that's uh, the it's, they're both they're good in different ways. Broadcast news is. is no. Well, I think Nightcrawl is very modern too. That uh, broadcast news is it's reflecting its time, so. uh, and Nightcrawler is very much about millennial hangups and the, the destructive behavior that we teach young people today. I mean, Jake Gyllenhaal is 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 like the BuzzFeed cadet, in my opinion. You know, just like the go getter wants any hits and and once the traffic and everything that Birdman was complaining about is kind of pent up in Jake Gyllenhaal's Nightcrawler character. He is the embodiment of the go-getter that we train kids to be and how frightening that can be if they actually go all the way to succeed as we tell them to. I uh, my, my biggest problem with this movie uh it was that it's a cartoon. It's a cartoon from from the first frame and some people What's wrong with that? Uh, I mean, if you would let me finish. I refuse. Yes. Some people would <laughs> will enjoy that, and in some circumstances, I myself would, would greatly enjoy that. I, I certainly, uh, I, I tend to you know prefer my amplified film worlds, but uh, I, I just thought this was so broad and obvious, and there was not a single moment of it. I didn't have that eureka moment that Jordan Hoffman apparently did, uh, where I found a moment of this to be illuminating in the slightest. I think if you're a human who has a modicum of critical thought, which I know Jordan Hoffman does, uh, <laughs> this should be, this, this stuff should be self-evident. Uh, yeah, the movie it, is, it, and it is self-evident. Well, it's, but I, I mean, it's, it's also, using that kind of base level self-satisfied. The movie is also self-satisfied. self-satisfied in a way that I didn't think uh, any other movie that I saw this year challenged, except for uh, also Toronto Wild Tales. Which will be Argentina's uh, submission to uh, the Oscars this year? Another film I didn't like, um, and they actually have a very similarly mordant streak of, of humor. Uh, but I didn't find this movie funny. Wait, I think dig into that for a second. You're calling it self-satisfied. What about it? And and name something specific. Why you think it, this it is self-satisfied? It glorifies its own completely obvious. You know, illustrations of, of this, of everything that I thought Jordan rather eloquently stated. Um, I think it's less, I do think that the case has been overstated a little bit about these network comparisons by myself included, because uh, the movie has next to nothing to say about that. I mean, it's banal to the nth degree, but I do think it is a little bit more on point about um, as, as a portrait of that corporate, it's, it's Tony Robbins-ish and, and, Self-help and this sort of like everybody is a, is a beautiful flower and can achieve great things. But more, maybe it's because I'm also coming off of a, of a very dense corporate experience uh, last year that it, it seemed like corporate speak to me. That this was sort of that ethos that had uh, – that you know just gave him a little, bit of, a little bit of bait to keep chasing and do increasingly terrible, <laughs> terrible things. Um, but it all just seemed – and the, the moment it builds to, it's just there's no other resolution for a story like this. Where the, and the, when the character is so cartoonish, it pins you into these choices. I mean, they can really only play out in so many different ways. Um, and the movie chooses the most obvious one at every opportunity. Well, I, I just never really I guess I don't fault it for its obviousness methods. because, I mean, I've seen a few people compare it to different uh, film noirs. And I think that that is apt where the structure may be 
uh, transparent and telegraphed, but it's about the characters. It's about the dialogue. It's about these strange performances and how they kind of swirl together. And I think really Robert Ellswit is the the one uh, to commend here with I this kind his, of his dreamy Los Angeles photography, this film noir, this neo-noir stuff. I mean, I think you're being generous in comparing it to neo-noir when I think, well, really noir, because most people have really been uh, doubling down on the neo element of that and comparing it to drive. Um, I don't see a lot. I don't see a lot I, of that in this film. I mean, I, you know, good on They're you. They're both for, in cars. That's the only connection yeah, that, that drive does I not have. make sense. It's uh, in well, LA. purely as far as the look of the film and shooting Los Angeles at night. Yeah, is concerned. Right, but sure. I did not. I did not find uh, the look of this movie to be particularly interesting. And I will say that some of that is likely due to the um, the digital projection at TIFF, which, uh, as great an experience as it is to see movies there, they switch them so fast. I just feel like you get the same digital gloss on everything, um, <laughs> on all the DCPs that you're watching. But. Uh-huh. Um, no, it's just again. I want I want to back up to what you were talking about before about sort of the cartoonish aspect. I mean, I I think that is one of its great, uh, you know, great wins. Uh, it it is you know the, the, pretty much everything that comes out of Gyllenhaal's mouth is quotable. I mean, he it's just very. If you're funny. a freshman in college and you hate your roommates, I'm not saying quotable in a good way. I'm saying it's it's a great character he's of lampooning his own persona a, that he's yeah, driving towards. I mean, you, we are Rene Russo in this, you know, <coughs> being older than some of these young people that, that are are striving in the same way that Gyllenhaal is. I feel like a lot of people look down upon millennials because they end up amounting to what Jake Gyllenhaal is, and we can stand back from it in some way. And a lot of like. Silicon Valley tech speak in this in this drive looks like a cartoon from the outside. I mean, I'll, that's because people are living it. I'll widen it a little bit. I just think it's just kind of making fun of dumb people. I just think it's very. It's like he's <laughs> just like not, a very he's not dumb. He's very good he's not at dumb. what he does. He's very good. You know what it is? He's, he's clever. He's, yeah. he's here's, he's here's what it is. Start, street smart in his own he's way. He's a but. guy who follows the rules, and when he was in fifth grade or whatever, was told the way to get. You know, the way to get an A in math is to learn this equation, memorize it, and do exactly what the teacher wants. And there's no critical thought in what he does. He just spits out um, <laughs> what he thinks people wants to hear. And that's why everything he does is like a business transaction because he's never living life. He's always thinking, ah, to get it. You know, somebody well, taught him a lesson. To get ahead, you got to do X, Y, Z. Well, it's also it's, – I, I think it's less about – I mean, yes, everything he says is, is vaguely or explicitly transactional. But I think it's also – uh, very much about how this this uh, slippery slope of uh, of moral indiscretions sort of build up into uh, and and you know take shape in the shape of a man. I mean, that's really he is just sort of the cumulative total of of his you know sort of moral decisions and and the people who are around him, these you know ostensibly decent people are enabling him to do that because it benefits them in a way that they don't have to directly confront. I mean, all these horrible things that he captures on video and manipulates to make happen, they're not, their faces aren't rubbed in it. They don't have their hands dirty. And right. it's really easy from that so distance to, to yeah, like, this, is, a, this, this movie's is, about the relationships. Like what he does with Rene Russo fascinates me. And even more so is this kind of element of privilege that Jake Gyllenhaal has in comparison to Rick, his his assistant, this guy Riz Ahmed. Who is, oh, what a terrible character. I mean, he's like, oh, I, I really I mean, like he's him cartoonish in a way that I really, like he is uh, like drooling on his shoes. I mean, this is one of the dumbest characters. I mean, I mean he's, he's supposed to be. He's, he's written poor. that way. He's, he's um, impoverished. What do you he, want him he, to do? They're, they're, well, the job. impoverished are not necessarily stupid, and nor are the he's uneducated. He's not stupid. He needs a job. He is, he is genuinely stupid, and that's my problem with the character. It's not that he's poor or that he's uneducated, although he may be both those things. He is brain dead, yeah, and it, he is an insufferable foil for Jake Gyllenhaal's character. He's not my favorite part of the movie either, but, uh, but I, I think, though, uh, the, the the thing that I really like is just the the performance that Jed Hall gives. There is not a moment where anything that comes out of his mouth is like what he's thinking. You never hear the real him. You see it in his facial expressions sometimes. There are moments where he's at home and he's not speaking. But, you know, most film performances or theater performances or any kind of performances, you know, people say, open their mouth and they say, you know, you, you know, you, you get to know them through their dialogue, but this is everything about that is, is missing in this. And it reminded me a little bit of uh, Al Pacino's part in Glengarry Glen Ross, who's another character where if you study that movie, there is no moment 
where uh, what he's saying, particularly the scenes with uh, Jonathan Price, who Jonathan Price never even gets to finish a sentence. There are only sentence fragments in Jonathan Price's script of Glengarry Glen Ross. They're not they're not even people. I mean, they're not they're just, you know, uh, they don't use language to express their thoughts. They use language to manipulate. And you never get a, a crack in that. And I think that was. You know, once I realized that was the game in Nightcrawler, I'm like, are they going to go the whole way? Is the whole movie going to be like this? And, you know, spoiler alert, it is. You know what I like about Nightcrawler? I like one thing about this movie very much, and that it's that it was shot for eight or or it was made for allegedly eight million dollars. And it's getting I don't know how many screens it's being released on, but it's it's a wide from the film. (laughs) It's a wide. No, I, I think that in theory. This is the kind of movie that has atrophied. I mean, this this is the kind of movie that is dying and that Hollywood is dying as a result of because uh, we are not getting – and I don't think this is necessarily a smart movie for adults. But it is a uh, moderately priced movie aimed at adult audiences yeah. that, is, uh, that, that is the kind of film whether or not I particularly enjoy this movie uh, needs to be made and needs to be made uh, well. Well, that's, that's the thing the, that I don't understand why you're so hard on this movie for not having enough depth, quote unquote, because it has themes going on. It has some exhilarating performances. I think Dan Gilroy shoots the shit out of it. And okay. especially well, especially the stuff where Jake Gyllenhaal is coming upon the crimes and all the way he maneuvers the camera around these pitch black scenes. Let's with lay it out. Fast no, stop, it. stop. Let's lay it out. No, I'm going to do you a favor. No, I, we're going to, I'm going to, we're going to talk about what you wanted to talk about before the podcast, which I think is, is fair and suits the point you're making now, which is that, uh, to be perfectly transparent for the audience, you know, as we said, we saw this in Toronto. I saw it as one of 42 movies that I saw in a nine day span. I instantly forgot it because there's nothing memorable about it. And that makes me a lot more contemptuous of the movie than I would be otherwise. But what really serves the trick is that some people, Uh, in the media love this movie beyond all reason. I think because there are so few movies that are made that feel like they're geared towards adult audiences that are made um, at this price point and at a price point that affords them the opportunity to take risks. And with English, with American stars also. Right, right. With American stars in English, it's not particularly challenging, which is not an insult to the people who really love this movie, but it is just to point out how rare films like this are and uh, I you're, you're undercutting my natural what I'm saying reflection by saying that people only like it because they're starved I don't think that's what Nightcrawler is I think well, it there can are be a cartoon I've... it can be this like on the surface theme that runs on on <laughs> on gas you know it's it's just about the energy of Jake Gyllenhaal floating through this thing and having these wide cartoonish eyes it is like a cartoon but it's manic and it's fun yeah. and it's crazy that, and it doesn't need to be so deep like it's not lacking but something I didn't because think it's it not was going that far enough manic. not every movie can like I why didn't. isn't it why why like I just found it sort of it's a hundred oh it's not 139 minutes I'm looking at the IMDb Absolutely page for not. mommy um, it is uh, I did I felt it, it dragged I was never particularly into to it. I, I uh, totally disagree. I don't think it drags at all. But no. I, I was I was with you on your grand dis statement, um, which is not really commenting on the film, but commenting on uh, the critical scene right very now. Very rude to other people. Yeah, no, he, I, I no, 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 he's got a to point. say that this is not the, – the, even you, Patches, who I think are the most positive on this movie, would say – and when I say it's a B movie, I don't mean like a B movie, Gordon but on, on, like a, on, on like a grade a grading <laughs> spectrum. You would probably say, if I can put words in your mouth, don't it's like because a B, I don't go by the grade. Be fine, but people, <laughs> the people who are rushing to treat this like an A, you know, like really like uh, one of the best of the year, um, I I think you know, of course, they're sincere, and and there's a lot of them who we know are, are very smart, but I think uh, I think it does at some level reflect how few movies like this are out there to scratch that particular itch, and that's right, why I yeah. don't like I. I fight but there's no reason to, to like it more, or dislike it more. That's that's after the fact. That's not the text, David. That's yeah, the, uh, exactly right. Which exactly. no, that's what I'm. That's what I'm saying. I'm well. That's kind of what I'm saying. I mean, listen. <laughs> I, I, I I would. I don't think this is going to end up on my top ten. But if I were to do a top twenty, it might be on the top twenty somewhere. I mean, I disagree with your statement that it drags. I think it really uh, it is very propulsive, and also it's 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 funny. I mean, I don't know if I I can't remember if we were in the same screening or not, but. I was certainly laughing a great deal when I saw it. 
You're no, laughing, I, I and there's so many times where I felt like I was I was just on the edge there, even in slower scenes when it's just Rene Russo and Jake Gyllenhaal having these insane conversations in the newsroom about like selling stories and just like he's so whacked out of his mind. I will watching do something. Normal people deal with this, but wait, I just want to say one other thing that like these scenes where he shows up to the accidents. There's this rush of adrenaline when he's like throwing himself into the scene and he's trying to beat Bill Paxton, not Bill Pullman, to right. the footage. And I'm, I'm just like exhilarated by throwing them into that. Yeah. It's, so, it's also cool. It's so I will it's do so something very uncharacteristic and admit that you should, you should probably listen. If you're out there wondering whether or not you want to go see the movie this weekend, you should probably listen more to, <laughs> to Patches and Jordan because uh, I, I – as I said earlier, like just – there was an added contempt, and you were seeing six movies in a day at Toronto. Uh, this is the middle of the day. I can't. There's, I can't. Uh, I can't remember if you had seen Tokyo Tribe yet or not. If you had, <laughs> then your opinion really doesn't count because you were nothing, lost. Right. Yeah. There's. There's like. There's. There was nothing about this movie that grabbed me, and I. I think. Uh, really sunk my claws into um, the fact that it wasn't particularly challenged, which Patches pointed out, you know, not every movie needs to be that challenging. But I think that I was so in need of something to really hold my attention <coughs> uh, that was different and, and sort of turn on this movie when it was clear that it wasn't going to offer that. Uh, and no, I, I think that this is a this is a perfectly fine movie to go and enjoy. Um, and it is not like, you know, a, a cancerous film. What's like a cancerous <laughs> film that I hate that's that everyone loves right now? Uh, uh, who can keep well, track? You like it. Interstellar. We'll get there later. Yeah. Wow. But, so, uh, I mean, yeah, it's not it's not it's not an evil film. Uh, it's just not one that I particularly enjoy. Yeah. Really? I mean, you know, you touch upon a really interesting thing that really needs to be studied in a lab someday, which is seeing movies at festivals versus seeing them in the real world or just part of the week to week beat of being a film critic, because, uh, you know, that's the big festivals are part of our part of our world. And it's a weird way to see movies, especially it's, I think the mediocre movies are what suff what suffers, because I think, you know, when you, you see that many movies and that concentrated period Good of time, movies. Uh, it, it's well, it's tell, well, what movies you find mediocre. You know, <laughs> well, I'll, I'll give you a good example. I bet you that if I went and saw <clears throat> just on a random Wednesday as part of my life, I went to a 4 p.m. screening at Magno of the new Noah Baumbach movie. I probably would have done cartwheels for it. But seeing it in the middle of Toronto, I was like, oh, that was really funny. Oh, my God, I'm so behind on so many things. And there were so many other things there that took me in unexpected places that the new Noah Baumbach movie, the title of which I cannot even remember right now. <laughs> While we're young. <laughs> While we're young, thank you. Um, did not really stick to my ribs. I remember, I remember laughing a lot, and I remember the big scene at the end at Lincoln Center. But You're yeah, that's man. one that I You're don't... You're a good I, man for admitting that. <laughs> yeah, and um, I'm sure if Nightcrawler comes on you know, HBO or something six months from now, I you'll will... You'll be on uh, the NBN, you'll be watching. Uh, I, I'll, I'll, I'll stick it through and... the whole... The whole thing. And, I, and Jake Gyllenhaal, while I do find his character uh, and the movie takes its own character off of – it takes its cues from him uh, as far as how broad it plays it. And uh, I, I didn't find it particularly evolving. But he's great in, in everything. He's sort of uh, compulsively watchable. I find uh, him very milk toast. Okay. But he uses that to his <laughs> – In general. He uses that, those baby blues to his – credit i mean he plays against type in this and he looks sure. like a freakazoid because he is not a nice jewish boy you know i mean it's there's just something so uh, like it, it's so clear the moment even within this world like i just don't believe that somebody like renee russo her character in this film doesn't meet him and go holy shit here's a class one sociopath and I, well, I mean, that it's speaks not, to how far she's fallen I mean it yeah, is a ratings, ratings game yeah. if there's any reason to compare it to network right. it's because she needs her life to go on this is her whole life now she's a failure actually they say I, I, and also let's be fair they're all characters she's a caricature true I mean she's a lot like the Faye Dunaway character in network yes in that you know she just she's not a real person nothing's real in this movie it's it's all stylized and not stylish, but style, stylized. That is strange that it's not uh, – and maybe that would have enhanced my enjoyment if it were a little bit more – I mean I, I, I tend not to think that anything is not stylish. I mean I think even this sort of uh, mundane visual approach is a style unto itself. But I think if the uh, aesthetics of the movie were uh, amplified in a way that better cohered to the characters 
that uh, fall into that aesthetic. I, it, it would have been a marriage for me that it may have justified yeah. the tone a little bit more. But Elswit cinematography is not particularly interesting to me here. And the rest of the world is very flat. The direction is this is Dan Gilroy's first movie behind the camera. I don't think he really um, you know identifies himself in any meaningful way. Uh, I, I if the look of the film spoke to the characters a little bit more or better represented them, I think right. I may have enjoyed it more. I mean, unlike a movie like Drive, which I don't like at all. Same, uh, with, same with me. Drive, same. Drive does at We're least We're in the minority, a, though. Isn't that true? Nicholas Reffin can go walk in a lake as far as I'm concerned. I think he um, did. Did he? Called, uh, it was called, what's it called? Walk Only God walk. Forgives? Yeah. Give me a break. I like Bronson, though, but I haven't seen it since I've discovered that I don't like his movies. I wonder if I'll dislike Bronson by it's going It's like after Pacific Rim came out, and then I had to rewatch all <laughs> of Guillermo del Toro's movies changed. and realize that's how another, that's another. That's another. That should be a lightning round question. Which director do you uh, retroactively dislike? Oh, it had, no. it had never happened to me before until. No, uh, it shouldn't. That's an immature thing to do, yeah. but you know. But it happens. Well, Jordan, fi- final word on Nightcrawler. Now that we've um, heard David well, Schreiber. I mean, I dig it. And, you know, it's true. Let's let's talk less about the text and talk more about the state of the world right now. David hits the nail on the head. Y- you kind of need to embrace this movie if you are a thinking person. Uh, you know, <laughs> modest budget. Was saying? No, I mean, it's a modest budget. It, it tries to tell a different type of story. You know, it is for people who never go to see art films or independent films – this is the weirdest movie they're going to see in three years. Yeah, high school me would like lose yeah. their minds overnight. And yeah, what? Like, well, like Fight Club are going to like this movie. It, and, what an and enabling only movie. Good, there's only good, as far as I can see, that comes from this movie being a hit. You right. know, within within its own uh, relative, uh, what, what would be a hit for an $8 million movie. But I think that like there, there's nothing bad that happens by this movie overperforming um, and encouraging people to follow the model um, if not necessarily the style or – Right, which is a, 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 quite a backhanded compliment for the movie, but it is a compliment <laughs> nonetheless. Um, but, you know, David's got a point there. I, I liked it. Uh, I, I mean I flat out liked it. I thought it was just funny and for all the reasons I mentioned earlier, I think the Gyllenhaal character is fascinating and I found it propulsive and – you know, a nice dark ride. I mean, I I like to sometimes think that the world is a mess and we should all go jump out the window sometimes. That's you I, I on like, Facebook every single day. Yeah, I like to sometimes get really angry about stuff. Um, I think it's healthy. I think it's important to do that. That way, you don't actually do it in life. You do it through art. So for that reason alone, I think you should see it. All right, Nightcrawler comes out in theaters wide. Whatever wide means for Nightcrawler. It can't be like 3,000 screens, but well, it'll, it'll play a lot uh, of locations. Let's see. Oh. Now that Box Office Mojo is up and running. Box Office Mojo is alive. Okay, while David looks that up, fun fact, uh, I would highly recommend people listen to um, this podcast Brian Koppelman uh, runs called The Moment. He interviewed Tony Gilroy this week. It's a Grantland podcast, and I thought it was really insightful just as a writer, as someone creative, not necessarily in, in the industry, but I would highly recommend 2,766 Okay, that's a, that's a pretty big, that's a pretty wide opening. It's gonna bomb. Anyway, it's gonna the, bomb. the point about uh, The Moment podcast was that Tony Gilroy talks about how difficult it was to get this movie made because everyone – Loved the script, and no one wanted to pony up the money. And that's wow. exactly the, this script. Even if you know, and, and clearly, I was uh, going a bit over the top. Patches just behind the scenes uh, uh, peek here instructed me to go hard against this movie. <laughs> that's because he had is, a hard opinion. He is the puppet master. I just want you to rile said. me up so I can um, screaming. This <laughs> script should not be so hard to make that you have to record a podcast with Brian Koppelman about how hard that's it was true, to that's make. True. So. Go see Nightcrawler. Go see it. Uh, yeah, it opens wide. And remember, you have to make the money to buy a ticket. You have to make the money to buy a ticket. You have to make the money to buy a ticket. Tax the rich, feed the poor, So the two of you have seen two ho- kind of Hollywood uh, or Halloween skewing movies that I want to hear just a little bit about before we wrap up the show. David, you love horns. Uh, I don't love. You're the only person who loves <laughs> horns. You I, love I, horns? What's wrong with you? I thought, I thought <laughs> horns was fine. Horn, David gave like horns great. a rave review. He's totally bought. He's in Radcliffe's pocket, his little yeah. dainty pocket. Radcliffe paid me himself. <laughs> Why do you love horns? Give horns the one line like positive. 
comment because not many people are. Well, I'm trying to find my review. And You're quoting yourself? Me. You can't even well, come Well, no, up. I'm trying to. Jordan, I did you see since, Horns? Since July. Did you um, see Horns, Jordan? Did I see Horns? Yeah, I saw it. What, what do you think? I think the first 50% of Horns is quite good. I think there's a there's a moment where it just 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 falls apart, and at the end of the day, you know, you walk out going, "Ugh, what's for lunch?" Um, you know, but the what first time half, are you seeing this movie? It's two hours long. Jeez, I, uh, I, I saw it at a festival, so it was early and I wanted lunch. No, uh, I think the first half of Horns is really funny, really clever. I love Radcliffe. I love him. I love everything about him. I want to eat him up. He's delicious. But then uh, I thought Alexandra the second. You know, oh, I, I like that this was, you know, Alexander Aha is the guy behind films like High Tension and Piranha. And I thought this was his first opportunity to really spread his wings. Um, and he has made a messy, sprawling, uh, indulgently over long movie that I think works because exactly because of those things, uh, because I, I really roll with it in all the various directions. We wants to have a 25 minute flashback uh, 20 minutes into the movie. Why not? Let's go into their chill childhood. We'll go in all these different directions. I thought that the the excess really just made the heart grow fonder. But uh, really, what struck to me struck me about this movie is that it ultimately, for me, becomes uh, you know Daniel Radcliffe plays this kid named Ig who has horns coming out of his head. That Ig. Ig that make uh, make everyone act like a lunatic and and enact their wildest uh, most deviant behavior around him but he really sort of learns over the course of the movie while investigating the murder of his girlfriend who's played by Juno Temple uh, how much of a burden he was on the people that he loved and sort of has to confront that and I, I think that is uh, something that you rarely see depicted in movies and especially not with this uh, degree of, of candidness. Yeah it is, it is cool there's a great moment where you realize that his parents don't love him and I think that's pretty great. You never see that in movies. Yeah but we've uh, seen Dan, Daniel Radcliffe in that position quite a bit right. in Harry Potter. But it's not done with a wink. I mean the movie is, yeah. is a dark it's a dark comedy but like you really feel that moment and uh, and that is the backbone of the movie and it carried me at least for the entire 120 minute running time so yeah it's i mean it's pretty cool i mean uh, you can't undersell the first half when when the when ig's magic power is this if all you really want in life is to is to pull down your pants and sit in a giant bowl of chocolate pudding if ig walks by you you'll like say i gotta sit in some chocolate pudding now and, and take off your pants i mean he has that power so those scenes are very funny what <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm saying whatever you're. Does whatever that you're... happen in the movie? No, uh, no, no, no. There's a, a great soundtrack. You got Fever Ray, Sunset Rubdown, other stuff. Okay. Oh, uh, Patches yeah. is asking about the pudding. No, no, no there, there's no pudding in the film, Patches. I'm just saying if that's what your dream is, which you know, you can make dreams come true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, <laughs> he's Patch Adams. <laughs> Patches <Uh-oh>. Adams. <laughs> uh, the problem is the last half. The last third, especially, it becomes like a Twilight thing. Right. It's bad right, special right. effects. We're getting too too long in the. Piece. It becomes the the last third is 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 like a Twilight movie. Cheap special effects, love triangle, a lot of people yelling and screaming about curses and you know uh, ancient ways and and you just you just want to get out of there. Horns but is I mean, VOD. I think uh, that that might be the the best yeah. way to do it. The most cost effective for sure. Yeah, I think in the, the, in the is fair. unlikely event <laughs> that you share my opinion and you hey. wish that you had seen it in theaters, then I'm sorry, but I think uh, you're probably better off hedging your bet. Speaking of yeah. VOD, Jordan Hoffman, one line on ABC's of Death 2, which is a is a movie that some people yeah. on Halloween might actually watch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. ABC's of Death 2 is, uh, if you like the first one, it's the same exact thing. Uh, there, there has been some lip service done uh that said that there's a, there's been more quality control on the second one um but and that may be true and that, and that there are it's like the first one maybe with a little bit of uh, a little bit of uh, paxel because um it doesn't get as gross but it also doesn't get as deviant and fun um the it's a, it's a it's a i'm sure everybody knows what abc's death is all about i don't have to explain it but it's 26 short films but based on a letter and then the, the, the two great gimmicks are if you don't like the little short you're watching right now, just wait three more minutes. The next one's coming, so you can't lose. And then the other thing is you'll be watching a little short for the letter H, and you don't know what the punchline is until the end. So you're watching a four-minute movie or whatever of something 
you know, macabre happening. Usually somebody gets killed in a gross way and then the, 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 the fades to black and it says H is for, and I'll tell you, it's never the word you're thinking is. This is one of the genius things of these two movies is you think you know what it is. You're positive it's A is for assassin because you're watching an assassin and, and that's the letter A. You go, oh, A is for assassin. And then it's A is for something else. And you go, oh, that's clever. I didn't say that. Don't spoil coming. it. I, I don't want to know It's what like a, a trivia game. It really is. And I think I got one of the 26. That's hilarious. And it's, it's, I love that aspect. So if you have it. like 30 people over your house for Halloween, rent yeah, it's a it great, and play great drinking movie. games. It's, it's a great thing for that. I will say, though, pound for pound, I personally found – uh, I think I, I found like a 40% success rate. There are a lot of ones that are just dumb. Some are not scary. Some are just stupid. Some of them are even a little bit, um, I found tasteless. There's a, it's something about beheading that's meant for a joke. And, you know, with, to me, that was a little over the line right now. B is for beheading? Uh, no, it was not. It was the letter C, actually. Um, but then there are some that were brilliant. And I'll give a shout out very quickly to some of the directors who were involved in the great ones because I, I happen to have this off the top of my head. Uh, the fellas from Astron 6, the guys who made The Editor and Manborg and Father's Day, they did a letter that is so great. Eventually, that one short will make its way to the internet, and that should be watched by everyone. Um, and uh, the guy who did Room 237 did a really funny one. And uh, I'm going to get it. No, it was not. He just did a um, a little short gag. Uh, the S from Hell is the – I mean, it's funny because I, I think that was the name of the film that he made. Yeah, The S from Hell, yeah. Well, that was his short that he made prior to Room 237, yeah. uh, which was sort of a mockumentary uh, horror short and was really, really great. And so – uh, is is the film that he contributes to ABCs of Death to in that style? No, no it just no. you would never know. It, it's okay. just sort of a um, no. It's not in the style of his previous work. Um, and by the way, that guy and it's funny. I, I've met him and I don't remember his name right now. Oh, you're Rodney Asher. Rodney, Rodney Asher. Yeah, I, he's he's gamer nice gate. Chap. This is your yeah. He's my gamer gate. Yeah, I met him. I shook his hand. We follow one another on Twitter. It's totally. But um, but. He is working on a new project, a documentary about night terrors, which is awesome. Real. It's not a scoop. It was in Variety, but still, it's exciting. Um, I I could tell you what some of the other great ones are. Very quickly, I I just found my notes. (laughs) Um, Yeah, Astron 6, uh, one was great. Oh, oh, and some two that are animated. One is by Bill Plimpton, kind of an elder statesman. Yeah, Bill Plimpton does the letter. uh, You have my attention. Uh, Bill Plimpton is great. And then uh, um, uh, someone whose work I wasn't familiar with by the name of Robert Morgan did stop motion animation. Really cool. And also uh, the guy who did Cheap Thrills did a funny one also. And then someone whose work I'm not familiar with by the name of Chris Nash did a really gross, weird, disgusting one. And then a Japanese filmmaker by the name of Hajimi Ohata. David, do you know who Hajimi Ohata is? Uh, uh, What else do you make? I don't know. Um, he did a good one too, and then the others. Frankly, there are a lot that you go, all right, yeah. So I can't, I can't say it's, it's. I would not recommend going to the theater to see the ABC of Death too. I would recommend VODing it with your chums, a couple of drinks, blah blah blah. Can't go wrong. Gotcha. Well, why don't we wrap up this episode by tackling our lightning round question, Jordan? We're going to start with you because you did not answer on our previous episode this week. Um, it's Halloween themed. What horror yeah. movie traumatized you in your youth? Now, this is going to sound like a joke because you're going to say, yeah, yeah, cinephile movie critic says that movie, please. But the answer really is Psycho. Um, and what it was was uh, – and my, my, I owe my career, my ridiculous poorly paying career to my parents who were both really into movies. And uh, my mother was really into classic movies. She loved Alfred Hitchcock. And when I was very young – we had – I had already seen some Alfred Hitchcock movies already, uh, like 39 Steps and things like that. And then um, we're watching Psycho. I think it was on Channel 9 in New York. This is on TV. And um, then at some point along the way, my mother's like, oh, you shouldn't watch this. It's too scary for you. And I was like, all right, watch it. So the shower scene happens, and I was – you know, she walked me through it. I was very, very young. I wasn't scared by the shower scene. I wasn't scared by the falling down the stairs scene, but by the, by the big ending when he turns the chair. And I was in the movie. I'm like, who's the killer? I don't know who it is. What's going on? Um, she was like, you shouldn't watch this part. 
And I'm like, what? And she's like, when he, she's, you know, when he's go, she's going down into the basement and, and, and he's right. trying to don't watch this part. I'm like, are you sure? I'm like, I'm going to watch it. She's like, I'm telling you, don't watch this part. So I close my eyes and I put my hand in my, in my face and I'm not watching, but I hear the music and it's close, close, like cliche. I peek through my fingers and I see the skull and I flip the fuck out screaming, crying, running around in circles. I don't sleep for a month. Every night before I go to bed, I'm crying. I'm crying about this, this skull from Psycho. I can't believe it. And I was traumatized, literally traumatized by, you know, it's the most famous scare in movie dumb. It's the most cliche answer I could give you. But it is, uh, it is that. I was terrified of that. And I remember, like, yelling at her, why would you make me watch that? And she was I told you not to watch. And then I was yelling at the world, why would anyone want to watch that? What's wrong with this world that this would be considered entertainment? That this terrifying <laughs> You must image. have been a, a real bundle of joy as an eight-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> I was really upset. And then I, then I had a whole angry thing about scary movies in general. I, you know, and, and back then, there, you know, you would go to the – I remember that you would go a lot to the movies and the trailers – I think we're, it was different back then. You would go to see E.T. and they would show trailers for Wolf. Yeah, I used to have to ask my parents would when I was a kid. I would have to ask the managers of the theater what trailers were playing before movies. Yeah. Because Wolfen when I was like e. six or seven, I would be so afraid. Yeah, no, I remember seeing a trailer. I mean, my parents didn't take me to, a, to scary movies. They took me to a lot of intelligent movies. I remember seeing Amadeus when I was eight years old or whatever. But um, – you know, they would. T- I remember seeing when a stranger calls the commercial, the the ad for that, and I remember the, the trailer for Wolfen, uh, which I actually now that I'm older, I think is a pretty neat movie. I remember seeing Wolfen before something and having to leave the theater and like hyperventilate in in the in the in the auditorium. I'm trying to get the impression that trailers and the covers of movies at video yeah. stores were scarier to us as kids. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The oh and The Shining, film. too. The famous Shining with the blood in the elevator. I saw that for something. God knows. You know, what the hell was wrong with the 80s? I don't know what my parents took me to. They are probably taking me to Pete's Dragon or something. <laughs> and I'm seeing the trailer for The Shining. How the hell did that happen? Uh, but I swear to you that I, I experienced that. Oh, so uh, You're still traumatized. You're still suffering. I mean... That would not. Have, there would be lawsuits today. That would be on Fox News. Bill O'Reilly would be yelling about it. No, Bill O'Reilly would be yelling about the parents who were yelling about it. it would, they would be on whatever left wing show would Don't be worry. on. Then Christmas would come around and he would be. Uh, those jizz wizards. Uh, All right, so, Dave, David, is there a, a, a listener answer that uh, you you see you're picking here? Um, let's see. Uh, wow. Well, I'll, I'll give a shout out to uh, as uh, roundabout ways of self promotion. To Katie, who is Twitter handle is at Lupita Nyongos, um, who says, uh, while not technically a horror movie, seeing Heavenly Creatures at age 12 gave me an irrational fear of Melody Linsky and rocks. Uh, right. I actually just watched uh, Heavenly Creatures for the first time. A few months ago, really? to, uh, yeah, to you know, maybe I'd seen it a while ago, but not to, to my memory the first time. Uh, in order to uh, interview Melanie Linsky for Little White Lies, nineteen ninety four issue, oh, where we wrote about okay, I see, I see. Uh, Heavenly Creatures, which was indeed still a very effective and chilling movie, and she is uh, is really phenomenal in it as uh, you know a freshly plucked from high school. Uh, actress against uh, Kate Winslet, and uh, yeah, Peter Jackson. <laughs> Is that Peter Jackson's best movie? I don't know. I mean, it's uh, it's, it's certainly his best one-off. Well, he's only done that in King Kong. There's only one-offs. That's not true at all. uh, Even Jordan knows that's not true. uh, Wait, I think think Dead Alive is a pretty disgusting, fun movie. Dead Alive Alive and Meet the Feebles. I even like The Frighteners quite a bit. I Uh, like Frighteners too. And then The Lovely Bones is probably, I think it's a war crime in some countries. (laughs) (laughs) It depends where you go. A different definition of scary. uh, Yes, but Heavenly Creatures is really really excellent um, and a fascinating bit of uh, of non- Fiction uh, of a nonfiction thriller. Yeah, um, no, I think it's. I think it might. I think it might be his best movie. Hey, you're the Salmon Girl, right? Hey, you must be the Salmon Girl. Uh, and That's just, a different movie. <laughs> just to wrap up here, uh, our at Patrick Wren, Pat Reynolds said Stephen King's It, which is not a movie, but it is freaking scary. I don't know. They keep trying to make remake that as a movie. Carrie yeah. Fukunaga wants Fukunaga. to make an It movie. Oh, that'd be interesting. I don't know how you can get scarier than Tim Car- Tim Curry in uh, in clown makeup. 
Um, but I did want to give two shout outs to. Uh, I know how you cast Tim Curry now. Oh, God. <laughs> that's that's sad. Wait. That, that's that's no, some but, clouds of Sils Maria. I don't want to get stuff. into that. That would be scary. That's all I'm Isn't he uh, dead? I thought he was dead. No, no. He, I think he suffered a pretty horrible stroke. Oh, let's, let's I thought not, he was dead. Let's I was not going dig into that right now. All right, I was. I didn't think my joke would be that table. So I <laughs> yeah. thought he was dead. I, pretty, I, pretty I didn't know he was just ill. That's even worse. I'm sorry. Horrible. horrible. I apologize to the Curry family. Uh, I'm I'm really gonna go with our friend at Michael Arbiter. Uh, who oh, says, yeah. The babysitter showed me Silence of the Lambs when I was four. Then locked me in a makeshift pit and taunted me. So that's in the running. <laughs> Which, uh, that sounds... Good babysitter. Yeah, awful, awful. Uh, locked in a pit, or what, what? what's the makeshift pit? How do you make a makeshift pit Yeah, my question is, why do your parents have a pit? <laughs> Probably put a bunch of high pillows around him. That wraps things up on this week's uh, Fighting in the War Room. Jordan, thank you so much thank for coming you. on the show. Where can people find you on the internet? Uh, you can follow me on the tweets at at Jay Hoffman. That's two F's and one N. You can read my reviews in The Guardian in the Daily News. You can read my other crap elsewhere. Yeah, speaking of Judaism, Times of Israel. You, you just yeah, reviewed the controversial opera playing in New York. That, that piece did gangbusters on the internet. Uh, I did review both the opera as, as a piece of text and the what scene opera? around it. The Death of Klinghoffer at the Metropolitan. My Klinghoffer is my favorite Star Trek character. <laughs> yeah, no, they're good. It all comes full circle. David, where are we finding you? Uh, maybe I should just lie low for the week after this episode. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you can find me. I'm the editor-at-large of Little White Lies magazine, our new issue, which is written from the perspective of 1994 in the celebration of that film's that year's films, uh, is trickling onto American newsstands now. Uh, and our first book, what I love about movies, which is really the most beautiful film book I've ever seen, is uh, is on store shelves next week. And you can find me on The Dissolve and at uh, the AV Club and Complex and the Playlist and blah, blah, blah. You guys really missed tying that issue into the Taylor Swift album. Five years ahead of time. 1989 <laughs> could have gotten some serious Google movement. No, it would have, it would have gotten all of our Google up. results completely. That's true. <laughs> That's true. Uh, and I am Matt Patches. I write on the internet all over the place, and I try and put everything on mattpatches.com, and I'm on Twitter, at Mr. Patches. And until next week, farewell. Farewell.